I never had to start these because, like, everyone else has, yeah. like, their really well-rehearsed intro. And I've obviously only recorded one thing myself before, so it's like... What was the intro for that? I don't even remember that, but that's the thing, right? Like, like once they've done it enough times, they have the muscle memory of it. And right now, I've only done it once, and, like, I don't even know if I want to stick with what I did. I think it was, like, pretty... I, I don't even think I did one, to be honest. I think I just rambled. I just pressed record, and whatever happened, happened, so... Is that what you're doing right now? Yeah. <laughs> there you <laughs> that, go. We're that's, live. <laughs> that's my philosophy for life. <laughs> Do it live. Make it happen. You You've just done it. Just done it. Sorted. So, yeah. Welcome to Game Dev Origins. Uh, the, the brand new podcast on the block. Uh, yeah. Got our first guest today. Who are you? <laughs> I'm what, Dan. What are you doing in my bedroom? <laughs> In your, like, digital space. My digital space. The metaverse, mate. What an honour it is, by the way, before I get into introductions, to be in the presence of, of this man. In his first podcast, or well, his first guest podcast, I guess the other one was, like, an intro one, right? I, I, I'm counting it more as, like, a test, I think, because it, it? it was pretty rough, and, like, yeah, it, talking, talking by yourself is really weird. It's just, it doesn't feel right, but... Who, who's after me? Do we know who the guest is after me? No idea yet. It's probably going to be Stefano or Carl or someone from work. But yeah, no, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. I've got a whole go. whole Tune week to think that about one, that. Guys. You can skip this one. <laughs> you skip this. You can skip this one and go straight to that. <laughs> so why don't we start? But yeah, I'm done. Yeah. I'm a vehicle. Fluffed it already, That's mate. It. <laughs> vehicle. You asked me a question. I've been everything to be fair. I guess we can get into that a little bit, but Yeah, I've well, been, well let's uh, start let's start first with like what is it you do like right now? So Oh okay. So it's like Romeo Juliet, you begin at the end and then you, you circle back. Yeah, around. we'll 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 go back. We'll do the pause and this is how I got into this situation. <laughs> okay, yeah, so I'm now a vehicle artist at Cloud Imperium. So I make spaceships. Um, most recently I worked on um, the Mirai Fury, you can Google that, um, with a chap called Alex Williams, who never gets the credit he deserves. But yeah, that was um, a pleasure to work on, to finally have like a shipped vehicle in a AAA game. It was like a really, as we'll get into, I guess, through the origin stories, it's kind of like a really nice beginning to the rest of my career, I guess. Yeah, so right now you're kind of at the, the kind of, Oh, I don't know if I say the pinnacle because I don't think I think you're obviously going to continue nah. to grow, but you're in a pretty good spot right now, I think, aren't you? I yeah, pinnacle's definitely not the word I'd use because like I think every it'll be a pattern amongst all your guests and probably everyone listening as well. Like you genuinely never stop growing. I think if I had asked my student self like, like oh this will be your work one day. I'd tell them to like do one like there's no way. I'd have just been in disbelief. But now I look at the work I do like every day, and it, I like I just I still think I'm bang average. You know, I have I have a lot of growing to do, and it's um it's quite exciting really because I feel like I'm in in a good good place to do it. Right, the team I've got around me's like got so much knowledge I need to to learn from and stuff, and I've already learned so much from them. I think that's what spooks me about seeing the team from the outside it's just kind of how cracked everyone is it just they just seem like insane and the yeah. the amount of love they have for the work that goes into it as well like it's 
it's not something I've seen elsewhere. Genuinely, that like my team's like ability to three D model is only matched by their ability to play pool. Like that is. <laughs> They're insane at pool. It's crazy, and they do play pool a lot. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta test for that. We earn that time on the table. Man, we like... have like a joke. Me and uh, me and Michael, we have a joke where um, if we want to have a break to play pool, we 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 go up to each other and go, "Do to get back to work?" <laughs> and then and then when we finish playing our game of pool, it's like right, we should go on a break now because to us, like our job's so fun that pool is like actually like feels like I've really got. A concentrate and like think about it because i'm like you know i know how to model i don't know how to play pool i'm shit at pool mad strategy to pool whereas the actual vehicle modeling is just cathartic happy process <laughs> pool's hard man if you really want to get into it i i just i never really play because i get i get absolutely decimated by whoever i play against and then Corey yeah. sometimes would invite me and i'm just like i i haven't got the hours compared to you mate because He's, he racks up the time over at that pool table. I will say before he comes on the show and roasts my ability, like Carl has an extremely good record playing pool against me. Um, and I, I just wanted to get that out there before he comes on and pretends that I didn't mention that. Yeah, he, he kind of like, he, he has that with the environment guys as well. Like they'll always come back and walk past my desk and there'll be the look on defeat, uh, the look of defeat on, you know, whoever's gone to play with him. I think it's important to mention, though, like, I'm obviously talking a lot about pool here, but, like, the games industry, like, most creative sectors, it's it's really important to, like, you know, have that downtime and stuff like that. Like, for me, I don't do, like, overtime as such, but I definitely, like, on the if you looked at it on, like, the surface, you'd probably say that I did, like, overtime every day, but... In reality, I don't because, like, I make up for the breaks and stuff like that. I prefer to – I enjoy spending my time at work. I'm not one of these people who, who, like, clocks in, does, like, the bare minimum hours and then, like, goes home, like, working through my lunch to try and get home earlier. Like, I actually enjoy spending time with my team and enjoy my time, like, working and stuff. So, like, I don't mind, like, taking an extra, like, half an hour or whatever in the afternoon to play some pool and then staying half an hour later because – I actually enjoy, you know, my time there with the people. Yeah, I and mean, that's the beauty of like working at somewhere like CIG as well. Like, I I know a lot of places do it. To be honest, where they've got like you know that kind of flexi time policy in place so that you can do that, and it's really really cool yeah. because you know it gives you the freedom to just take a break whenever you need it and 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 go and have some team building time and you know maybe take a longer lunch if you want to go somewhere like. Somewhere yeah, like nice. a restaurant rather than like, yeah, like that's that's a good point actually because we're in the city center of Manchester, so there's tons of like good burger places and hot dog places, which my team will probably mention for a laugh. But <laughs> there's loads of good restaurants, and it's good to like be able to take like a slightly longer lunch just to go and like not have like a Tesco meal deal every day. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Which are. Fine, by the way, but you know. Yeah, it's awesome, and I I, I wish uh, our team's really small. So like, you, we, it's it's basically me and Alex, and Alex just brings in like a gourmet lunch every time from home, and I'm just like, my joke to you, I, I want to like, <laughs> I want to yeah, go and like eat out really sometimes, nice. but like Alex comes in with like the gourmet chef's meal, microwave to perfection, and it's like, ah, I guess you're not coming out then. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how long was it you've been in in the vehicle role? Because previous to that, we were teammates, weren't we? We were, yeah. Um, I've been here for like a year now. You know, I I checked the other day and it was like a year and like five days. Wait, on so on vehicles? Yeah, it's been like a year and a month now. I think it was oh, July. God. So, so I joined July um twenty twenty two. So a year. That has flown M- by. Mad that, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's absolutely flown by. I don't even like remember when I started at the company. Now I think it's coming on for years, but this yeah, yeah, I think so. That'll be around that for you. It's flown absolutely flown by. Um, but yeah, like going. Let's let's just take a a step back and look at your overall journey because you you actually have quite a unique this this is kind of one of the reasons as well i wanted to bring you on here because um kind of want this episode to be focused you know around a game dev origins and where you know different routes you can take in and stuff like that and you've got actually like a very very unique um kind of journey into the game industry a lot of people will go in the standard way of just like college university and then you know go hunting for a junior role um yeah but yeah do you want to do you want to tell everyone kind of about your your kind of story and how you got involved in the game industry yeah it was it was quite unique i will i will say that um essentially like after i guess i guess it's the origins and it so i will go from the origin yeah yeah go so, with that mate so i actually started technically in like when i was like 12 or 13 so I don't know if you remember this, but people of our generation will remember that during high school, everyone was just smashing Modern Warfare 2 and making like no scope montages and stuff like that. Do you remember those days? Of course. You were one of them. I bet you were. Well, in our school, there was like a big community of people doing that. And the I, I spot, I was like, there's so many people making like basically the same content. And I was shit at no scoping, genuinely. Um, but I did know how to, I did have a copy of Photoshop, and you might not see a link there. But the thing was, is all these people were making like YouTube channels, and because the competition was so high, they were really invested in trying to have like the coolest channel. Like even if they weren't, um, it was just so competitive, right? They were all just trying to get a one up on each other, like who had the coolest like channel and the most the best videos. And, like, I knew I couldn't really compete with that just because I didn't have the skill to even, like, make the gameplay. But there's a lot of people making, um, like, these channels, and I was like, oh, they need logos. And I, I like, I know how to use Photoshop because my granddad had given me a copy because he used to be a photographer, and he, like, gave me this disc with Photoshop Elements 5 point something. Like that. It's not, <laughs> it wasn't even, like, actual Photoshop. It was, like, it was so bad. It was amazing. And um, basically, I just started photoshopping logos for people, like for their channels and like channel banners. And then people like, um, like I made like a YouTube channel where I would like do speed arts of me making their logos. And weirdly, like my channel ended up getting the most views. And then I eventually like branched into doing like 3D logos. So I used Cinema 4D to render out 3D text and then just immediately bring it into Photoshop because I wasn't comfortable in it. And then I worked out how to animate in Cinema 4D. So I started doing intros for people, like 3D intros. And then, I mean, a lot of people will appreciate how far YouTube can get you. So I, I basically smashed out YouTube like tutorials and learned how to do basic, basic particle systems and like good rendering in Cinema 4D and making these intros for people. And ultimately, my channel became the most successful one because 
they were not subscribing or like liking each other's videos because they all like were against each other. But I was like this weird like neutral like Switzerland in it all where I was like making everyone's like intros and like videos for them. And so they were all coming to my channel to like hype me up. So then I would like make them theirs, like or redo it in some cases, because like obviously I was improving. And through that like feedback loop, I got quite good at for like, you know, a self-taught like 13, 14 year old. Good at doing that. And then I went into college and that I guess is the beginning of the education side of it. And I, I then um joined a game dev course, thinking it was an animation course which it wasn't, by the way. And I, I basically got scammed there, but it was probably the best scam ever because um, I just completely misread the course guide. And um, yeah, I ended up... I always thought I was going to be like some IT technician at a school, but, you know, I found myself on a level three B-tech. Like, I guess that's the first part, the first chapter of my origin story, I guess. What what led you originally to that B-tech? Was it just the enjoyment of the animation stuff that you'd done from YouTube, or was it just... Uh... Yeah, you know, I didn't know it was a job. Yeah. That that was it. Like, I just didn't know. I remember I was actually in the line to, like, sign up for the IT course or chat to the IT tutor. I knew I wasn't going to do A-levels and stuff because I, like, I just hated, like, <laughs> I was good at exams. Like, I got really good GCSE results, but I just hated the idea of them. It just, feel, it just like, doesn't feel relevant compared to, like, a vocation yeah, like, course. It's like... I was like, what the fuck is this? It's a memory test. It's got nothing to do with my actual intelligence or, like, what I know, like. So I just didn't buy into the whole idea that an A-level course was like going to be suited to me because GCSEs would just seem so stupid, like fundamentally. Like I just much preferred the idea of being assessed on what you know in real time and going, we have seen Dan can do that, tick that box, rather than, oh yeah, remember this thing from like two years ago? Like here's a random like question on it. And if you don't use the exact terminology and the marking criteria, you're not going to get the mark. Like, Dan has box. 10 oranges. <laughs> In it, I was just like, "What a stupid!" And five are taken away. <laughs> How many yeah. oranges does Dan have? It's like I don't know. Okay, I've got no hopes. I know that, regardless of the amount don't of even orange, like oranges. oranges. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I honestly like do not buy into the A level like pathway at all. Like, I can appreciate that it does for some people, and like for some careers, like you definitely have to do that if you want to succeed, because, like. Um, my girlfriend's like a psychologist, right? So she had to go down the A-level university route. But she often talks about wishing there was an alternative. And for me, there was, right? So I was planning to do like an IT course. Genuinely, my dream at one stage was to become an IT technician for a high school. That that was like, I, I'm <laughs> glad I cheat. <laughs> I was oh like, my oh God. my God. So uh, that was actually like my goal at one point, like my end goal. It's like, Jesus, Dan, like, to dream and big <laughs> we dream yeah, big in yeah, this exactly. house <laughs> like, like it's not a bad job don't get me wrong but for that to be your end point dreams a bit like you know come on mate have a bit more ambition about you and my friend who like was big into like game development as well but like more so on a like conceptual level like he wanted to be a game developer rather than like he actually like knew how to do it right mm-hmm. he obviously knew about my youtube channel and stuff and he was like, oh dan they have an animation course here which is obviously like as i mentioned before it wasn't, but you know, it looked like one. Because what lie. do I know? It's just 3D renders like that. I didn't. As stupid as it sounds, I probably didn't even know what animation meant back then. You know what I mean? I thought, um, I thought VFX was parameter-based animation. Like that's what I called it. <laughs> and I was like, 
I, I later learned it was VFX, and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, that's such a good name for it. When you listen back to my episode, if you, if you do, uh, I hope you do, um, you'll hear the bit where I was, I was basically saying the same sort of thing, like, throughout college, I thought game dev was literally writing in, like, a, a Google Doc, just ideas, yeah, yeah. and then a programmer makes it happen. <laughs> but obviously, as oh. we know, that's not the case. No, it's not. And, like, that was the, the guy who actually recommended me to join that course, like, that was a trap he fell into and he ended up dropping out the course because I think it's really important to outline and it's, it's just that like becoming a game developer is def, def, definitely different from becoming a gamer. You know what I mean? Like it's not, there's no, yeah, it's not. The there's like, there's like cross pollination of interests, but it's like being a footballer and liking football just because you like football and you know, all the players doesn't mean you're any good at it. Yeah. Yeah, that that that's like chapter one, right? And then from there, we had um, something called World Skills at our college course. This is essentially like a competition. So if anyone's heard of the rookies or search for a star at university level, there's a college level competition um, called World Skills, and they they specialize in like every discipline. Like it's a it's a movement based around vocational education training. So like it's always like it's for apprentices and colleges. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether you do hairdressing, like landscape gardening, like um, it literally can be anything. Forensic science, hotel management. God, you, there's just, imagine a job. It's that, that that's there as well. Like genuinely. I think, Lewis, you, you've seen a little bit of it. Are you, were you surprised by the, <clears throat> the variety? Yeah, I mean, it, this is something that's fascinated me quite a lot. Um, and part of me is like how the hell do you even assess some some of that stuff right because i've obviously yeah. seen the game development side of it which you're going to get into um but you know if it's like hotel management stuff like that like how yeah, how do you how is that, that? how does that assessed like i know the the chef one's good there's a, there's a chef one and it's literally assessed exactly like master chef and there's another one called um restaurant management and um no restaurant service sorry and those two competitions kind of overlap. So the chefs make the dishes and then the waiters get like marked on their ability to like serve. And like, we're not talking like serving at your local Toby Carver here. We're talking about like, you know, the Ritz, like the, like the seven star hotels in Abu, Abu Dhabi and stuff like that. Like really high level. And it's, and like the chefs, like, you know, they work in these like stupidly expensive restaurants as well. So the food on display is, is really cool. And um, you know, far out of our price range, which is why I always try and get like invited to like be like on the table, so that they could like serve you food and stuff. But it's just like it's so mad, honestly. Like, if anyone's interested, definitely go just type in World Skills Competition into YouTube, and you, you'll see it. Um, but obviously, we're here for game dev. So from that specific example, there's like a few rounds essentially. So you have to get narrowed down, um, before you even compete, um, at a venue again you know where there's other like jobs or industries there you know um so i started at like entering like you know be um being against all of the you know my co i guess colleagues co-students i don't know what the term is but other students and then i am um, once i uh, managed to win like the internal competition i got sent to london and then i was against the top 20 in the country and the top 10 went through to the final in Birmingham, which was like a three-day event, which was um, 
ran by Codemasters, Rocksteady, and Sumo Digital at the time. Um, nowadays, we run it at Cloud Imperium, and um, and I think Team Seventeen. I forgot what Studio Ant works for, but um, yeah, we have like a a big final, and you have like a three day brief, right? So imagine you have. I don't know what's what's a previous brief been like. Make a shark, so you have to make like a shark, a hungry shark, and then like a like a diving helmet, right? And you have to design it, concept it, make it, and you have three days to do it all. And then these industry people mark it, and I managed to win that competition. And then after that, I got sent to the Euro Skills, which is like you start going against other countries. Then so I was against Finland and Russia, and um, that was on a Need for Speed brief. And then I um. I won that as well, and then I went against um every, that. Sorry, that was when I actually got hired. So that's that's probably an important part. <laughs> so essentially, all these competitions had happened, and I'd been like doing tons of briefs, tons of competitions, and then I found myself in a in a room with all these like industry professionals, and I was like, "Does anyone fancy giving me a job? Like, I'd like one, please." And um. I more asked, it actually stemmed from me asking for CV and portfolio advice. Um, so they were giving me a lot of feedback. I managed to find a mentor while I was training and like trying to do all these competitions. Someone who used to work at what uh, Ubisoft working on watchdogs and he was teaching me um, kind of how normal maps worked and stuff, you know, like the things that if you were to try and work that out by yourself, you've got no chance and like how PBR rendering works. And then essentially like with the help of these three guys these industry professionals who were the judges <laughs> they got my portfolio ready and and one of them actually took it back to their studio and um i got offered a job working uh, at codemasters on the formula one game in 2017 when i was 18 years of age the insane thing to me is that all this was kind of unfolding while you were at college like yeah, it's over a year all that happened and it yeah. and it just seems like well when when i kind of came up through the education system like i was day one of uni was when i kind of started learning about game development which is which is a crazy advantage right if you think about it because it's literally what a year two years in advance where you you're, you're learning like all the techniques and stuff that that are benefiting you now like in your actual job yeah and it all led you along this path and yeah, previous to to meeting you, I I didn't even realise that opportunities like that even existed. Um, Did you hear about like the rookies and search for a star while you were at university? Because that I guess that's a more relevant example to university students. Yeah, so I, so the rookies and search for a star. I actually did some work for the search for a star guys because it's Aardvark Swift, isn't it, that runs that yeah, competition? Yeah. Um, I did a few bits for them back in the day. Uh, when they they came into uni and then we, I, I think I went to one of the, I think I got nominated for an award at one point. I ended up losing out to someone because um they couldn't see my shining potential. But um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um yeah, no, I, I I was aware of them, but like yeah, obviously they come in a lot later on. Um, at, at that point when I'm learning about those, you're jetting off to like Abu Dhabi to compete globally and stuff like, because obviously the main. The, the big thing about your journey is you completely skipped the university part entirely, which is three, three years of your life, which is yeah, and, and insane. <laughs> I, I would like to say, though, that 
I mean, maybe we can get into that a little bit later, but that is uh, that was not without consequence, right? You know, there's there's definitely an element of like, you know, it's. I think getting into the industry at that age was really good for me, but um, it had like um, a negative impact on me in a lot of ways as well, because I was the like in almost like not untrod territory because a lot of the people I. I've like worked with since I found out that they've also done like similar things as I guess a good reason this podcast exists, right? You know, these origin stories because they're all, everyone has their own like lives and stuff and it's all always like different. But um, yeah, like I, I remember when I first joined Codemasters, like just, I was young and stuff, but like, you know, I did have significant skill gaps. You know what I mean? I think yeah. a lot of juniors have skill gaps, but mine were probably more so than others. Um, I like to think of my first year or so at Codemasters more so as like, I don't know, like an internship or even an apprenticeship, right? Because I required a lot of onboarding, a lot of training. And even now looking back at like the stuff I was doing then, I was, I'm was i kind of embarrassed by a lot of it because I am, um, you know, I had a lot m more in me and I was making mistakes that I, I shouldn't have been making, to be honest. And so there's only an element. It's only so much you can expect from your team around you to pick up on. Yeah. So, so what was the role that you got at Codemasters? Because I assume it wasn't. Was it straight into a junior role? Like, is it the same kind it, of level yeah, as what a graduate role would be? It, yeah, yeah. Basically, it was a junior role. Yeah. I mean, they don't call it that, but it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was. Um, a lot of studios like to remove the junior label now and just call them like an artist. And like in our case, at Cloud, we have like a a one two three system. Um, it was just like artist and then you have experienced artist and then senior. So that was the one, two, three, I guess. Well, they didn't have like hours, but yeah, so that's a different topic, but yeah, it was a junior role and, um, I wasn't on much money either, you know, I was on like hardly anything. And that was definitely something that, um, made me feel less guilty about, you know, it's not like I'd been brought in on like some stupid salary expecting like and they're expecting me to like overhaul the pipeline or whatever and even by junior standards like it wasn't anything like ridiculous and i um i definitely like that helped remove some pressure from me because i wasn't expecting it overall the way everything went uh do you think you'd do anything different because Obviously, you said there's some negatives to it as well, but how do you feel yeah, I, about the whole thing? I think, um, well, the, the Codemasters journey in general was quite a long one, right? I spent four years of my career there, and I had, like, five five games shipped, and I, I met, like, some fucking awesome people. <clears throat> um, and I've, like, yeah, so, like some, some have left now, some have, some have um, joined, who, like, I've known from outside who have then gone into it. Um, I would say, um, I don't know, man, it's been like, it was, it was a long journey. I had, I started as an environment artist, Well, I, I technically stayed as an environment artist the whole time, except I transitioned from like working on tracks for the first two years. Then I moved on to like the, the kind of cut scenes and stuff. And I really liked working with the animators. So that really suited me. And I liked making props as well, which obviously led into the cloud Imperium stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm um, sorry. Could you repeat the the actual like overall question? Um, just just how you felt about the whole thing. Oh, so like, oh, would, do you yeah, feel yeah. like you do it a different way, or 
you know i think so yeah i think um i think in hindsight um going back to like being 18 going into a role like that you know i left at 22 i don't even know how old i was when i left 22 it must have been 22 or 23 um i think the biggest one is like i would have changed how i acted i think um one of my biggest lessons that i would like people to learn from this podcast like at least from hearing me like the biggest lesson i've learned is like maturity is like it's a tool not necessarily a character trait i think it is for some people i think the more you can like harness it the the better you'll do and i think at that stage of my um my career i definitely failed to under understand and like you know i'd been in high school then i'd then i'd been sat in college for two years basically having smoke blown up my ass because i was like the best on the course going around the world competing like that creates such a massive ego it really does and i was an absolute dickhead to put it you know for lack of a better word um and it it honestly looking back on it now is a bit embarrassing and i think um that lack of maturity and that ego definitely didn't help me i think um using maturity as a tool is something that's so important like because if you if you're immature right something that's really good that comes from that is like you create sometimes a better atmosphere and i'm not talking immaturity as in like stropping and stuff i'm talking about just like being a bit more childish right like if you're an immature person you, you can create like a better atmosphere you know you can you know you're less you're more approachable you know you don't you don't you're not professional like you know mr man in a suit kind of thing being more, more being more com- relaxed in the work environment sort of thing yeah not being like a suit being kind of open yeah to... being like a person yeah and i think that helps bring teams together and people together and like ultimately like finds problems quicker as well because people feel more comfortable talking to you like there's definitely times in my career where i've had problems with like people and processes and i've just not spoken about it because there was there was i i knew it would fall on deaf ears or the person just seemed unapproachable which to me is bad management and but it's not just for managers either like your your team should be the same like if i'm sat next to someone and they don't like like that i'm humming or something like that something as ridiculous as that they should feel like confident to like make a joke about it to me rather than like feel the need to lodge a formal complaint right that's the difference we're talking here and ultimately your life's happier i think when i've worked with people who are maybe a little bit more immature or maybe a little bit more you know again using maturity as like a tool they make you happier you just have like it's less it's more normal you know what i mean it's less professional but then equally like it has like a severe downside where if you don't know when to switch it off and on which i definitely couldn't do and maybe times some now i still struggle with but at that point in my career i definitely really struggled to um um to turn it off and it makes people take you less seriously like you could suggest something that you think is a genuine really like good improvement to the pipeline but the fact is that's been overshadowed by three years of like ego and realistically no one's gonna like take you seriously and they just they they don't see it and the 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 respect goes right You, you have less respect and it ultimately can stunt your career a bit and you just you don't want to be seen as childish and I'd say if you're a junior and you've like been like some hot shot who's like done insanely well in your university course, your portfolio is insane. Like I've seen some some juniors now, Lewis, are absolutely ridiculous, aren't they? I don't know how they keep their <laughs> egos in check. 
what's uh what's it tga in sweden like every yeah time, oh my god the quality of students coming out of there like anytime i see anyone come out of university i don't think i ever see people coming out of university in the uk with that kind of level of portfolio um, yeah they're absolutely cracked and yeah i think i think you raise a very good point about the whole kind of ego thing like i can't tell you how many times i've i've had situations where i've had students that that think they're performing way above the standard when in fact they're they're barely meeting the standard in a lot of cases and it's a really really hard conversation to have with a lot of them as well yeah. um and i think you know some of that also comes down to the the maturity aspect um but yeah like going back to when you started at, at you know cody is like obviously you'd be there for four years do you feel like yeah. because because you like you said you started off quite i guess immature and with an ego yeah like do you think that because of that and working in close proximity to like these devs they just kind of didn't see the kind of change in you because i know i know for a fact over that four years you you kind of developed and, and changed i think so i think to say that you you didn't develop over four years is, is would to, to be harsh on myself but i think as well like the age has to be taken into consideration. You know, I started at 18, you know, basically while everyone I knew was at university, I was in my first three years of my career. And like that team specifically were like really um, like senior, like these people had like really like insane experience in the games industry. You know, they'd won BAFTAs, like most of them. They'd been in like shipped more games than I ever will. Um, and ultimately, their patience was like great. I think at times that they didn't, they did see the benefit of like having like maybe someone a little bit more immature around, like inject some like different perspectives and stuff into it. But I definitely think that the di like I want to be clear, like the difference between being like a little bit immature and being um, egotistical is really important. And I think sometimes I I let that overlap. And I think. Um, you know, just to, if there's anyone from Cody's listening now who used to work with me, like, um, I, like, really appreciated every single person there for, like, different reasons, even if they didn't necessarily, you know, like me or whatever. And then I think the things I learned from them was amazing. And I don't want to come across here like I have didn't gain anything from the experience. Like, it genuinely, like, made me grow up as a person. I shipped four games. No, sorry, five games, technically. Um. And I did actually really enjoy my time there and the people I worked with were, were awesome. Um, but yeah, by the end of it, I think um, I, I, I maybe it's just because like I look back on it now and I just go, Jesus, Dan, you could have been so much like better behaved. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't like being, um, I wasn't walking around like I own the place or anything like that. But I just think there's like an element of, Imagine a university student getting thrown into a AAA studio releasing games. That's basically what I was like, and it it's um, you know, it's it's kind of like a a difficult thing to talk about in many ways because like it was such a big part of my life, and I learned a lot about myself, and I learned a lot about people, and I think um, I think maybe I should have been pulled to to one side like at some point. And, and told it you know if people weren't happy with me they should have said something in the same ways that if i ever said anything like oh i don't like this i don't like that i would have been taken more seriously because i wouldn't have been you know this big kid mocking about for the last two years 
but yeah, it's um, I, I have um, I have a a lot of good memories at Codemasters and stuff, and I think it really did set me up to have, you know, a lot of life-changing experiences in many ways, which I which I then brought to Cloud Imperium, and I, I'd like to think that I used that as an opportunity to create like a a new slate for myself and learn from you know i i you probably listen to what i say about code masters and it sounds like i had like uh you know i've only got negative things to say about the way i i was there that's not true it's just i try and focus on those things so that i can improve them going forward right the positive things come out in my work you know the techniques i learned the games i shipped but i think it's really important to be self-reflective and to always try and like develop yourself as a person and i think it it made me an adult my experiences there and i think being surrounded by such um professional experienced people with really good patience and the ability to ship games and get shit done had like a really positive lasting effect on me um after i left yeah that's awesome i mean i certainly noticed the difference like in general like when we first met compared to like obviously we worked you know from Cody as he came to CIG to join us on props and that was like interesting to actually you know I obviously only spoke to you like outside of work and stuff like that but actually getting to work you and like you know see how you worked how you were around people it's quite quite interesting to see to be honest um, especially when I then found out like the extent of your uh, <laughs> your networking and you know because you I think at the time you were saying or we first like kind of met you kept saying that I was like the one that networked and knew everyone but I almost feel like it's kind of reversed I feel like you're no, the one that kind of true. knows everyone and is involved with everyone and no that's not true like that this podcast will be proof of that I think I think um I'm really excited to see what what happens with this. I think there's a lot of people that obviously my story's like one thing, but I think when there's like a collection of like everyone, even just the people we know, like without even like dipping into the you know that we're going to probably you're probably going to meet so many amazing people through this podcast and through like reaching out to people and like people who listen and stumble on it who are like, "Hey, maybe I have a story that's that's interesting to you." I think your your wider network and stuff is going to be it's i'm i'm actually so interested to hear all the different journeys and stories it's one of the reasons i wanted to share like my thoughts on my time at codemasters there to hopefully like you know people who are listening like there's nothing wrong with admitting that you might have been a bit of a dickhead at some point you know what i mean there's or you know it's i i hope people are open because i think that's when people like learn the most from things like one person I'm really excited to hear on this podcast is is Alex. You better get Alex on here because his university <laughs> course is like insane. We mentioned it earlier, TGA. Like I would love to know what that was like for them because I imagine they've got some crazy stories to tell about them, like how they build such mental portfolios so quick. That's definitely somewhere I'll, I want to take this because it was it was huge when I was at uni to kind of like I I was 
constantly trying to basically identify like the logical route to get into the game industry and like one of the things I'd do I'd go to all these talks and I'd I'd listen closely and try and spot similarities and differences in the ways people get there but yeah. the reality of it is it's like there's so many different ways it could literally be anything and there's so much of it that depends on luck as well and yeah. you know the whole that's the whole point of this game dev origins thing is that you know we, we're going to try and bring as many different origin stories uh and as many different kind of people along along their career path at different stages to come on and share their stories because you know there's i mean this is episode one right and we've heard you will have heard mine from last week which will have been you know my my standard box standard college uni industry now we've got yeah, you. But you went Romania as well. Like that again is like a unique. Origin <laughs> yeah, story. for sure. Like I, exactly. And I mean, you, you imagine if we, I, I don't know, we'll see how far it goes, but we imagine we get the likes of like, I don't know, trying to think now, a John crew, for example. Oh, or, I'll, I'll, I'll mention it to him. Or, you know, it, the whole vehicle team is probably listening to this right <laughs> now. Everyone go to John's desk. <laughs> oh my God. I, I'd actually probably like, I think Ben Curtis or Corey would definitely come. Oh, yeah, that, that'd probably be a better step for me, to be honest. I'd probably, like, crunch down and die under anxiety from, like, someone as big as John Crew. We, Corey Bamford's big, but... <laughs> <laughs> Corey Bamford's big, but... These are, these I can are manage our leads and directors we're talking about, <laughs> yeah. by the way. I, I know him well enough. I, I've seen him at the pool table enough, so... That's but it, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it it can literally be anyone. And yeah, um, if Alex is listening as well, like I will probably ask him at some point to come on and he's share his next journey. Year when on, he's probably sat next to you while this is on. <laughs> yeah, it'll be good because um, yeah, he he also has a really really interesting story. Um, yeah, you know, he's he's come over from Sweden after doing his course. He he did an internship at our place, and and yeah, now he works on um on my team. So. Really, really awesome to see the the variety. To be honest, you need you should probably try and get Aaron on as well. The guy who sits next to me, like his um his older brother was like a senior at Cloud Imperium, and he left. <laughs> and basically, his younger brother, who is Aaron, um, was interested in becoming a game dev, and absolutely like, you know, Aaron Aaron and had like this god tier artist basically to lean on, and. He managed. I think he's like nineteen or something, like that. or Damn. twenty, and he's dead. Yeah, and he he's got his head screwed on, not like I did at his age. These like bloody he's, young'uns. Um, he's yeah, he's great. Like he'd be another good one. I'd love to hear how he like utilized his older brother's like experience to try and like learn quicker and stuff. Yeah, I definitely think. Um, like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and reach far and wide. Um, and not just artists as well. Like we're gonna we're gonna have a mixture of producers, maybe mm, some yeah. designers and programmers. I'll be honest, I don't talk to as many of them as I should. Um, but yeah, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll for the cause, <laughs> for the right. cause. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, just just to round this kind of bit off, then Dan, I'm gonna ask yep. you, what three things do you wish you knew back when you were younger? I know you've already covered some of them, but like, let's get yeah, let's get def- yeah, yeah. definitive top three. He knows I have this because while he was setting up the audio thing, I wrote them down. So this is like definitely prepped. And um, the first <laughs> one was the maturity can be used as a tool. You know, use it like be able to understand that it's not necessarily just a character trait. You know, you need to know when to like 
be softer with people and when to like you know switch on the professionalism and stuff like that um so mature use using maturity as a tool can be very useful um the second one i'm gonna steal from uh there's a youtube channel called yes theory i fucking love them i absolutely like admire everything about their ethos and they have like this motto and it's called say yes to everything but not anything and basically what that means is because it sounds a bit weird but essentially it's like any opportunity that comes your way that is like within your limits you know your own like boundaries and things like that just say yes to it if you can so you know me saying yes to world skills led to some crazy opportunities that i've got now and today um you meet really great people you you get to do and experience great things and we, we haven't even spoken about it um maybe we can use it as a transition topic but me and lewis went around iceland and like that was just just a blink of the moment we were just like yeah we should go iceland or something like that and we were like you know what fuck it book it and that that saying yes to things like that will actually change your entire perspective on life um it creates opportunity but make sure you stick with your limits right so say yes to everything not anything and stay safe right you know lewis will attest that i'm not always safe but if i ever get hurt that's on me you know yeah I mean? your your limits are definitely a lot further away than mine are i think but that's the thing isn't it you get like you get some red bull base jumper like they're gonna have like crazier limits than i do like it's it's definitely a personal thing and um as long as you like stay within a in and around your comfort zone like push it every now and then i think you'll um you'll have a great time and they have they have they have another phrase called seek discomfort which i really like as well seek discomfort yeah you do your best things when you're like uncomfortable right because like you're more focused and you're trying to get shit you, you like you know say you're um you're driving in like stupidly dense fog in the icy roads of northern <laughs> iceland you probably wouldn't have chosen to be in that situation but you're in it now so you got to deal with it yeah you know you're damn I mean? glad that you got in it as well <laughs> yeah it was a good experience um and then the last thing was like I definitely tell my younger self, like, not to stress. Like, you're going to have a cool life. You're going to meet some crazy people who are, like, ridiculously good at their jobs, who you have a lot of respect for. Um, and, yeah, just uh, just have fun. And, like, you're going you're gonna to enjoy yourself. And, yeah, well, that's it, really. That They're my three things. Those Maturity some... is a tool. Say yes to everything, not anything. And you're going to have fun some damn good points i think it's like super important to to realize that wherever you are on your journey right you're you're at that point there's there's no being further ahead there's no being further behind it's you're exactly where you're meant to be at that moment and yeah you're on you're constantly growing you're on your way to something better so so we've covered the how i like the high school self-teaching the competitions at college the codemasters and now i'm at cloud and like getting put into the prop team at cloud like just was such a life-changing experience for me i think you'll attest lewis like that was probably the best team culture i've ever had in my life um because we basically all got like we all joined at like roughly the same time we were all we all had that like hype for what we were doing we were just batting off each other we were in the middle of a pandemic pandemic which sucked but our attitude towards it was great and like i i loved that time and then 
when I was moved on to the vehicle team, that that was equally like amazing for me because when I was at college doing the competitions, all of those briefs were vehicle art briefs. I was like teach, I was making every vehicle except, you know, like cars mainly. I was always making spaceships, monocycles, like hovercrafts, hover bikes. Fucking, it was usually straight towards sci-fi. So to become like a vehicle artist now is like a genuinely such an honor. And it's something I don't take for granted. And, um, I don't. I don't intend to to go anywhere now. I feel like I've had uh, I've had enough madness in the way of my professional career. I've had four different roles and sub roles so far. I just want to like chill out a bit now, focus on improving myself within the team, and um, you know, now as I'm maturing, quote unquote, um you know, focus on other parts of my life, you know what I mean? Like traveling and, you know, building relationships outside of work and, um, you know, spending time with my family and stuff and like doing less personal work and allow my portfolio to get built with the work I'm doing in my day job. Yeah, I think it's a really important milestone when you get to that point where it's kind of like, right, I've, I'm really happy where I am with my career now. Like it's time to you know, kind of shift the focus from the career yeah. and just let that go on in the background. Though you're obviously going to build that during your like nine to five or whatever, but then yeah, uh, yeah. starting to do that personal development outside is super important as well. What a journey you've been on, man! It's only Absolute sandwich artist next that you've got to get, and then you've got the full Thanos gauntlet, and yeah, nearly yeah, <laughs> yeah. Character arts probably the last one. Oh no, don't want to do that. I I'm not good at anything organic. Yeah, character arts scare me. They're just it's cracked. It's absolutely a different cracked. world in it. Yeah, amazing. On to the next section. Well, I don't know. I haven't picked any sound effects for this yet, so there'll be some. In order to fill out more content, I have structured this podcast <laughs> accordingly. So now we're going to go on to current affairs, mate. Current things happening in the game industry. Because, yeah, we need to stay current and up to date, mate. So I think the yeah. biggest news that I saw this week... There was two things, actually. One that I put on the list um, and one that I didn't. So we'll go through the one that's on the list at the moment. The whole Microsoft acquiring Activision malarkey, obviously, like, that's been kind of up in the air for a while, but now it's kind of been greenlit. I was going to say, you put that on the list, and I'm like, I swear that's ha happened ages ago, but is it, like, officially gone through now? Yeah, I think they, they were, like, blocked by, like, some courts or something, oh, basically see, stopping yeah. it. Oh, was it, like, the Monopoly Act or whatever it is? Yeah, like, something like that. We can't own too much of an industry. Yeah, but it's all, it's all been greenlit and approved, like, so yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about it. Like to be honest, it feels like Microsoft has just bought everything, but their lineup still feels weak at the moment. I don't know if that's just because they've got loads of things cooking I don't know, in the man. background. Or I mean, have you not? I mean, they've got Fable coming in in the way of games, right? Is that not? Yeah, yeah. Playgrounds a Microsoft Studio, isn't it? Yeah, that's been a Microsoft Studio forever. I think and Playground in general just do bits, right? It's Forza and Fable's going to be good. Um, 
I, I honestly like see this uh, acquisition. The thing that excited me most about it when I first heard the rumors about it or whatever was the idea that they might um, do more with World of Warcraft, right? Put it on Game Pass or do something drastic. Because can we get World of Warcraft console edition? <laughs> that would be. Can you imagine? That would be wild. Yeah. Oh my god. With the like. With How the would feedback the hot bar triggers. work? <laughs> How would the hot bar work? I don't know, they hardly got Smite working on it. They'd have the macro, like, you'd have to press, like, five different buttons to, like, trigger off one of your hotbar keys. Oh, my God. No, thanks. Yeah, no. Nah. Yeah, like, if they put that on Game Pass, I don't know economically if that makes any sense, but it would be interesting to see what that does. They, w- It would be interesting if they could collect data on the current World of Warcraft subscription base and see if they are already, like, if World of Warcraft players have Game Pass and like what percentage of that is, because I guess if it's high enough um, sorry if the disparity is high enough then it would be worth putting it on Game Pass and then trying to leverage like in-game cosmetics, which I know the WoW community hate and making money that way, using like the the pay to look cool model Dangerous which I know is controversial yeah I know it's controversial <laughs> Phil Spencer, like, don't listen. Uh, <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> I, I am just interested to see what they do with it, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah. the big thing for me, just watching them. Like, Obviously, like they what was it? They bought Arcane and Bethesda Game Studios, and Redfall just came out, and that did like really badly. And they I, bought Bethesda? I, yeah. How? <laughs> see, this is why we need this section. This might actually yeah, yeah. keep you up to date with the news. You know I mean? Yeah, please give me an update, and but, I'll... Yeah. I'll... They they bought Bethesda, they bought Arcane, id Software, they own Elder Scrolls. Did Arcane now. did Arcane make Dishonored? Is that, yeah. is that, that studio? Yeah. Fucking so, hell. So they did this game. They're where... having a good time over there, aren't they? They've got a great little lineup. Not anymore. Not anymore. So they, they did the Redfall game. Um and when that came out it was it was just really really bad. Like I, I there was a lot of bugs. And there's a lot of speculation saying that like Microsoft just came in and basically like forced them to to ship it. I don't know how oh. much is is true, but I'm I'm really interested to see how the the next like Call of Duty is performed and stuff like that. Because obviously yeah. now they own Activision, they now own Call of Duty, right? So that's do they be own very all of Call of Duty, or do they just own the modern side of Call of Duty? Uh, I think they're all published by Activision. Are they? I think they're developed by three different studios, but they're published by Activision. Okay. But yeah. All oh, right. Well, that'll be interesting. I, I, I'm, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Yeah, they Master definitely Chief have a massive lineup now. <laughs> the next Call of Duty Master Chief going to smash through the wall. I'm. Do you not think this is um, uh, the, the likes of Microsoft positioning themselves to take Xbox cloud-based next next generation? Do you think the internet will be ready for that? Like for them to just move all their games to the cloud and they weren't ready to for pay Stadia. like a subscription. Yeah, but Stadia I feel like was ahead of its time. The same Google Glass and Stadia were both Google just trying to revolutionize the world before it was ready for it. Like I think the big thing with Stadia was like you had to subscribe to to take part in it, and but then, then you had to games. buy the game on yeah. top of it, and it was yeah. like that, what? That was the failure point. I think I knew people with Stadia, and they were like, "What the fuck." Yeah, no, it wouldn't surprise me if they they basically just Game Pass, Game Pass, cloud based, cloud. Yeah, mm. isn't it called X Cloud? Doesn't it already exist? I X-Cloud. think. I swear, there's some games that already use that. 
Yeah, I think there's there's some sort of thing in development or in beta or yeah. something. But yeah, I, I think that is the next step because, like, obviously with the new consoles, you have to. Everyone basically had to like expand their storage immediately because games are like 130 gig each yeah, now. Like, and if you got a 500 gig hard drive, it's evaporated immediately. So yeah, imagine if all that you saved client side was like or you know just. A pathway. T- well, it, no, <laughs> a it wouldn't, even need to be, <laughs> wouldn't even need to be stored client side, would it? You just store the fucking save data like in the user account or something like that. I don't know. I'm not a network programmer. I just hope it goes cloud based when the internet's ready for it because I think um, I think that'll be a subscription based Netflix streaming service for games would be really cool. I would. I will really miss having like physical editions of games. I already miss like normal disc case versions mm, yeah but that would completely evaporate it Nightmare. you know it's bad when games start selling like mario plushies because they don't have enough physical <laughs> copies of games yeah. to fill up shelves you know what i mean it's the mobile phone market they just pivoted <laughs> yeah. entirely to selling energy drinks and mobile phones probably a good idea um the other thing in the news this week that i saw mm. probably like a few minutes before we we went live um Splash damage has now switched to a four-day work week, but the caveat is only for on-site devs. People people working remote don't get a a four-day work week. They have to do a five-day work week. Oh, that's going to cause some drama. It's kind Um, of mad, isn't it? That isn't just kind of... It's it's almost like prioritising in-house devs over remote devs what's funny is they're actually actively encouraging their in-house devs not to be in the studio which seems really counterintuitive to me like oh if you're working from home like work from home but everyone who's not working from home go home (laughs) like what the fuck i just i i like the idea of the four-day work week and i understand the logic i just think oh fuck i can't imagine trying to implement that like successfully you know, I feel like there'd be too much controversy. Because what happens if you have someone who's um got some like personal circumstances that means they can only work like two days in the studio a week and then three days from home? Are they are they expected to work from home the third day or do they not have to? I'm not sure to be like, honest. You know they I mean? don't go yeah, like... they go too deep into it apart from Yeah, there's just it's a weird one, isn't it? Because, like it's it's something that you know is definitely going to cause controversy by making that a policy. So I'm in my head, I'm yeah. like, why would you even do that? Because that just kind of causes a rift between yeah. the, the workers. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't get that. I yeah, I don't get it. Because do... in my experience, people who work from home like are just so like into that lifestyle that let's say it's like Saturday and. They, they'll jump on their work computer for like five minutes just to check the builds okay or something like that, you know, ready for like, or, or like Sunday, they'll like check the build or whatever. Or like start getting it. Like, you're, I don't know. I don't like the disparity there. If you had to choose one or the other, which one would you, do you think you'd prefer? Fully remote or um, four days four in? Day, four day in? Um, don't know. It's hard. It depends what studio, right? Cloud Studio is really cool, so probably four day in. But if I was working like at a different company that didn't have like as many like 
you know the studio was i didn't in, i didn't like the studio as much so it was just like a bog standard office with like no real like didn't have pas- pastries in the morning yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no pastries or anything like that. um i would i would probably just go work from home and then move to the scottish highlands go mountain biking every day after work which is my long game aim by the way like i do think by the end of like i don't know my long-term aim like in the next 10 years would be to like move somewhere like rural where i can you know focus on mountain biking and kayaking and enjoy myself or at least like have like a a system in place where my work from home days stack up where i can like go away for a month and yep. just do that you know that's an interesting perspective i wonder like obviously like you said it's studio specific for you but i wonder like mm. how pe- how people feel like just in general yeah it's different it's really personal i think yeah. i think even just the work for, regardless of that incentive or like um i can't imagine um it does feel like an incentive to get people to return to the studio that's what i feel like rather than a it you know you wouldn't implement something like that if you weren't trying to actively encourage people to come in i don't it'd be interesting if it was if it's designed to punish people for working from home or benefit people for working in the studio or maybe maybe i don't know some other way it's an interesting topic though one yeah. that um i think would you rather work from home permanent like which which one of the two would you go for oh <laughs> again it's so difficult i think to be honest it it for me it entirely depends on location because Obviously, living in the middle of Manchester is not is not cheap. So for mm. me, it would be it would be really cool to be able to work remote and just you know bugger off anywhere I want. Really, yeah, that would be like ideal. Um, I think for me, it's also important like that. Obviously, my partner is able to go and like do what she wants to do as a career because I I I'm really lucky in That's the sense true. that she follows me about wherever I need to go. Whereas like I know for other people it's a it's yeah. a huge thing to like you know it's almost like you have to sacrifice one person's career for the others and if you That's have so the flexibility true. to be able to go right okay i'm gonna do what i love but we can then move to you know wherever you need to be for your job then that yeah. that's the ultimate that's so true that, yeah i've got that with ellie at the moment ellie's just finished her like um university degree and stuff and she's looking for like roles and that mm-hmm. and like if she wanted to go like move to the south coast to do a job like that's that's putting both of us in a really difficult position that you know if this offer was on the table for like us at cloud that they've just given the splash damage people like that becomes a v- circumstances then make that a very easy decision you know what i mean yeah and same for like if you if i had a dog you know i mean i that again makes it a very easy decision if i have like a a kid, kids and a family another it makes a very easy decision if i'm someone like you and i love well sorry if i if i live somewhere like you and i love living in manchester and stuff and like one of our one of my friends henry he he's recently had the opportunity to move and he decided to um to stay in the city center just because he likes it so much if i was someone like henry i'd take the four day work week because why wouldn't you have the day off you know yeah it's an interesting one let us know what you think <laughs> in the comment section, in the comment section below. i don't even know how podcasts work can you you can't even leave comments can you but, yolo uh, 
gamedevorigins at gmail.com email us <laughs> your uh, <laughs> your work from home preferences and we'll we'll send them to your bosses and get it sorted yeah we'll, we'll collate yeah. we'll sort it yeah we'll collate the data Dan will fix it oh wait <laughs> maybe we won't use that one <laughs> oh dear anyway yeah, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll call that quits on the news <laughs> News in the game industry section. Um, on to our final, final topic for today. So we had a few questions um, from Twitter. Um, did we? Yeah, we did. We did. Your account's so, like 10 minutes old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So it's not from that account, but from my personal oh, account. Right. Oh, okay. I did put out a tweet before because I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to plan ahead. Let's see if we get any. Yeah. We did get a couple. Obviously, starting off small, we're gonna see how far we can uh, ride this podcast train. It might, it might last a month. It might last fucking years. Who knows? This might be the only one. This might be the only episode. Yeah, (laughs) and we'll be the only listeners. (laughs) Not my first rodeo. Anyway, um, yeah. So one of the the questions was um, going basically like coming through university. um, What what's the difference between production art versus portfolio art what are the main I like, distinctions i like how you've put the um the audience questions literally right at the end to force them to listen to the rest of the fucking podcast to get their answers <laughs> yeah that's you can't just answer the questions straight away so, so production art versus personal work on your portfolio yeah yeah so yeah exactly i, I don't know where do you want to start with this one because uh Okay, let's start with let's start with portfolio art. Okay, so so when you're going personal through university, work, right? Yeah, yeah. So personal work essentially. So wait, wait, no, sorry, I think I'm misinterpreting the question. Are we talking about what to present on your portfolio? Are we talking about the work no, no, itself? No, no, no. The difference between production art and portfolio. Oh, art. oh, I see, I see. Okay, sorry, I'm back in the room. <laughs> yep. One, two, three. <laughs> I'm back in the room. Um, yeah, so. From my experience, so on my portfolio, I've got two pieces that I keep right at the top, and they're kind of my best-looking pieces. Um, they are not game-ready. They could be game-ready. I'd say the, the, the geometry is game-ready, the materials aren't. Um, essentially, with my portfolio work, I I basically just remove my limitations and just try and make the best-looking thing possible. Um, obviously, do it within reason, so geometry still has to be really clean the materials need to be like sensibly unwrapped and stuff like that um but in terms of like you know polygon limit or texture size limit i kind of just unshackle myself and and use as many maps as i want so i think my one of my pistols i had like four 4k maps across the whole thing and then the geometry was like i don't even remember what the poly count was but it wasn't game ready um compared to the other stuff on my portfolio um like my ubisoft work where they are all like game ready assets and you could see the texturing isn't as good um and obviously you're limited by the tools you have at your studio so i was limited by the materials i was allowed to use um it was all from like the ghost recon library and stuff like that um and that's production art right it's 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 art used in the production that you've taken part in you know whether that be a game or I don't know, architecture visualization. Um, it's limited by the needs of, of the project. Um, yeah. 
what what you what what do you think, Dan? Do you agree with all that? Yeah, you've definitely nailed it then. I think that what you bring what you raised about the tools of the studio having an impact on and what it is, is is quite important as well. Like for example, at Cloud, we have um, we use a tiling texture workflow, which is similar to the Ghost Recon one, I think. I don't know. It's definitely similar to the Environment Art one, I believe. But anyway, yeah, we have like a tiling workflow with like decals on, which means it's really hard to like get like the wear, grime, dirt, and fingerprints, and like the multiple layers of grime that you see in like a normal thing. But then equally, like um it's in a game you know it's pretty cool <laughs> like i i think i'd rather that's the i think finding a studio that like you, you identify with their workflow like to me like the amount of the quality of the work i do at cloud is purely down to the amount of time i get to work on it and i don't think i have enough spare time to do that like let's say you made something at work, it took you a week, right? And you spent like eight hours a day on that. That's 40 hours, like quick maths. And then you do not have 40 hours to burn on like a personal project in a week. I mean, if you do, that is amazing. I That's great for you. I, I don't. Um, purely because I'd, I'd burn out as well, right? If you're not working um, eight hours a day, mate, then... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. I actually like... Quick side note, guys. I just need to like say this in a public forum. I was looking through my year nine. That's right, year nine. Um, um, like student like report from high school, and they said my attendance was three hundred and sixty nine days in a year. And I'm like, hang on, there's not even that many days in a year. I- they were like, out of 380 days attendance, you got 369. I'm like, who's doing this math? But anyway, yeah, the, the hours um, yeah, the hours that you put into personal work or portfolio work obviously change the quality of it. You're obviously not limited with workflow. You can do whatever you want. But having production art that is constantly being looked at by directors, colleagues, concept artists, yourself, and you've got like hours to plow into it, like it's really it's really nice for me knowing that I'll go back to work next week and be able to put time into that and it will go on my portfolio eventually. I think it's yeah, one of the so... things you have to end up sacrificing when you go to a studio is obviously like at university in college, you have all the time in the world to like actually produce whatever you want. Whereas when you get to a studio, then you kind of, you're kind of almost stuck in the role that you have. Yeah. In... So try and work in a role where you make what you'd make in your personal time. Exactly, yeah. And then you'll feel sufficed. Next question. Is crunch real? Yeah. Yeah. Crunch is, crunch is uh, yeah, cool. <laughs> not, not for me um... personally. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it. It's definitely not as bad as it used to be. I think student and education's understanding of crunch from working with a lot of educators and stuff is based on the games industry of 20 years ago. That was something that I got taught a lot about when I went to Codemasters, actually. Like, I was chatting to... I was, like, really worried about crunch. I was like, oh, is there, is there crunch here? And they were like, no, no, that shit's gone, man. That was here, like, 10, 15 years ago was when was when crunch was, like, at its prominent. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. It definitely does, and it, but it is extremely dependent on studio. It I, just is. I hear a lot more about it 
um, at US studios as opposed to UK True. studios. So yep. whether it's a thing over there, I might, I'd have to get some American Americans on the podcast. Um, but yeah, from my experience, at least I've done, I mean, I wouldn't even call it crunch. I did two two extra weekends on Ghost Recon once and that was just to close out the project like that was literally right at the end um and yeah I didn't really it wasn't forced upon us it was kind of like you know we would really appreciate it if you could like do these extra days just to yeah. get us over the finish line which I, I don't have a problem if it's like a you know once or twice um I think a few times at Cloud we've had like you know our we need people on call for the weekend just in case any major bugs come in for a release, yeah. but it's completely like voluntary. And a lot of time people don't volunteer. <laughs> I've definitely seen Stefano have to ping in the chat a few times to like, to get, get people to be on it. <laughs> the only thing is there's never really a bug that would require like an artist. Usually it's always like a programmer. Or yeah. Something. It's usually always like a, yeah, nothing to do with the content. That's the other really. thing as well. Like we're we're talking from artist perspectives here as well, and I think it it is incredibly dependent on your team's culture. I've been at places where teams are um on the same project, but some teams are crunching and some aren't. I think like project in general, like on a wider level, not team level, like. You work for Ubisoft and you're making like three games. It might be that one project's crunch and the other two aren't. Like, it's really dependent. But I think the intensity of the crunch isn't the same as it was like 20 years ago. Like, I, I don't, I've not heard of anyone having to sleep under a desk or bring like um, a sleeping bag into work. You know? Yeah, that's it's, the. Fur. It's, it's not a thing. All, all fake news. Fake maybe, news. maybe we're wrong, right? I'm sh- there might be someone listening going, who are these dickheads? Like, <laughs> Whoever's um, writing up that Microsoft deal. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, I would actually, I-, I hope that you get someone like um, come on this podcast who's had like a lot of experience with Crunch because they're probably more, um, um, you know, people. someone who's like really like slept in the studio, right? You know what I mean? Someone who's properly like game jammed it. Yeah. I think it would be really interesting to get someone's perspective because I don't feel like, Although we've had like experience seeing it and maybe doing it a little bit, I don't think either of us are um, well positioned to put a definitive. We're we're so early in our career compared to like other people as well. Like, yeah, I'm hoping we're gonna get like that kind of wide breadth of uh, experience because yeah, like you said, the yeah, story's gonna vary, and we've had a very you know part of our careers have been merged pretty much like with being at CIG. So you know, it would be nice to see from other companies as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And yeah, to see how that that goes. I imagine it it increases the more senior you get as well. Um, so when you're in management roles, that kind of thing. But as yeah, from as far as our experiences, you know, crunch has been minimal. Um, and yeah, haven't had to deal with it. So fortunately, and never never expected from what we can see. So. Obviously, keep tuning in. We'll, we'll give you. We do a crunch update every week. We've been a uh, hundred days without crunch. <laughs> You'll know he's crunching. The podcast will stop. Yeah, <laughs> it will stop. There'll be a cease and desist. <laughs> so, do you have anything else you want to say to the list, the listener? 
I did want to quickly. The listeners. The, 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 me, the listeners, me, singular. <laughs> me and you were the listeners. Um, I did want to talk briefly about something we both had experience in that I don't think spoken much about in like to to students in general. But when when people are like offering feedback and stuff like that, you know, when you put yourself out there as like someone in the industry to like students to like reach out to to get help with yeah like i think i want to hear like from you like where do you draw the line between this is feedback and i'm teaching you and like when that's acceptable right because i have some people in my network who are students and like i am more than happy to go on a call with them and teach them stuff and like spend an hour teaching them but that you know there's some people that I don't know, you know, I consider the people that I do that with my friends, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like feedback and what is it? What's the word that everyone mentoring is very different, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, this is so interesting. I'm about to deal with recently. Cause like I, I'm, I do uh, mentorships for limit break. Um, and I've been doing basically, I'll be mentoring free students every Tuesday. Um, and they're well they're not even student one of them's uh i'm trying to think one of them's a student one of them's at an indie studio and one of them is currently a freelancer so i've been mentoring three different people from three different backgrounds and basically you just try and fit in whatever you can into that hour session um and they're all at different stages so there's one that i'm literally almost teaching from scratch because their university experience was very very bad and they didn't actually basically like manage to either they didn't retain it or the university was just really poor and wasn't able to give them the skills they needed to to learn so i've been teaching them bit by bit like the fundamentals almost um there's another one where um they're actually a, a concept artist and they're looking to to go into a concept art role and they do a bit of freelance um, and I've kind of just been giving them general career advice. Um, so there's kind of a broad spectrum of different abilities. So when it's like an official mentorship like that, I don't mind doing that because that's something I've allocated time for. And it's something that I'm trying to do to give back. It's a bit like this podcast, right? This is about kind of bridging that gap that I almost felt like I needed when I was at university. Um, and I yeah. know there's a variety of podcasts out there, but a lot of them have either stopped or just didn't didn't carry on very well and without sounding too much of an egomaniac i feel like once i hit the rhythm of it i feel like i'm gonna be able to kind of like keep it going and i guess try and keep it fun because <laughs> i i think a lot of people like i don't know it's like the game dev society at my uni right like that that got started a few times and it just didn't catch hold but i feel like when i get going when my passion comes out of its cage, I start being like... You get shit done, bro. I f- yeah, I feel like I can get things moving. So anyway, well, all that. Um, I've allocated time for that, right? When The problem I have when, when people I don't know approach me for feedback, um, it can be frustrating sometimes because, number one, you don't know this person. So you don't know... You're basically committing your time to someone who you don't know if they're going to like 
actually do any of that feedback. You don't know if they're going to like action any of it or if they're just kind of ticking a box for like a uni course almost. Yeah, that's so true. I kind of feel like in the same boat as you where like I will help if it's a close friend. I'm in that call. I'll, I'll be there for like two, three hours and I'll teach them. Same as at work, right? If someone calls you and needs help with something, you just kind of jump in that call and you help them out. Um, yeah. And yeah, it kind of just, it, it becomes difficult when you don't know the person because again, yeah, you don't know what you're going to get you know, if you're going to get back. I mean, one of the examples, I, I was on Twitter the other week and there was a dude that posted like a gun. Um, They they didn't ask me for feedback or anything, but I, I wrote some feedback anyway. I just thought, you know, I, I wanted to say it looked yeah, cool yeah. and I gave him some tips because I could see like the high poly was a bit sharp and stuff like that. And Oh, I, I remember that gun, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I just wrote out some general tips. No response, no like, no comment. Thanks for your time or whatever like uh, it to be uh, like to preface that as well though that isn't expected you know for what sure, I mean? for sure to, but... like you know it'd be nice to like the comment and acknowledge that you've read it you know if someone's put that time into you yeah that's i think that's the main thing for me right even if you haven't asked for it that person's taking time out of their day to to try and give you constructive feedback to help you grow as a person. Yeah. And yeah. this wasn't a post with like a thousand comments on it either. It was like you and like a couple of people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think like, I don't know. I, I think from the style of the account, I think they just, they kind of post and then leave Twitter for a bit. So I don't know if that's the thing. Um, but f- at least from my perspective, like if someone ever comments on something that I've done and it's like feedback, like I'll always thank them for it because like it's their time at the end of the day. What you do with that feedback's like up to you, but I almost yeah. feel like that's an obligation sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that, and there's like, yeah, I, it's an it's an interesting one because at the same time, like they didn't ask for feedback either, right? You've just voluntarily done it. Like yeah. some people do want to post and just like be told, "Oh, sick!" They just want to be hyped up. Um, but maybe Twitter isn't the place to do that, right? If you like if you're putting yourself out there and like hashtag game dev, like showing your your art, that your whip art, like especially, you know, you you're putting yourself out there, you know, to you know he wasn't offended, you know, he didn't really maybe he was, we don't know, but he definitely didn't say that. But it was um it's just an interesting topic, I think, because where you know we don't want to come across rude when you're giving feedback. Because I, if I, if I posted something and like, I don't know, some art director, or, I don't know, like Bungie or something, commented on it and like gave me some feedback, I'd be fucking like, put that shit down. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so it's one of them, isn't it? It's. But then going back to my immaturity, Dan of like yesteryear may have gone, oh fuck you, I, I just want, you know what I mean? I just wanted to, you know, I'm showing my work. I'm not, I'm not. I didn't ask for feedback, you know. It's that's like maybe a, what I can see from that perspective as well. Maybe from a slightly more immature one. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I've definitely been on the other side of that stuff as yeah. well. Like, I mean, you know the but, famous story that I always tell about that Russian dude. Oh yeah, yeah. That that Glock. Yeah, I mean, I I posted like my Ubisoft work and um, a very interesting dude commented on on my posts and was like. It basically had a lot of negative feedback about it. Um, yeah, the, like, and yeah, it wasn't. I didn't ask for it or anything, but it, you know, it ended up changing my career. To be honest, so I think as well, like, neg- There's a difference between like 
negative feedback and constructive feedback as well, right? Yeah, saying something shit isn't fucking useful to anyone unless you're having a laugh. <laughs> but and it's like your mate, you know what I mean? Like Lewis. Whenever we walk said, past uh, yeah, yeah. Carl's PC, yeah, yeah, or... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Carl. I'm doing it for a lot, but I'd never like. Literally, all you're gonna do is make yourself look like a dick and not be useful. So why did you say it? Yeah, you know and people I mean? don't want to like come to you after that because they're like, you know, if they've seen you do it to someone else, they're like, right, I'm not gonna ask this person now because not being a good role model either, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I you represent your studio on somewhere like ArtStation as well, right? Let's say I am. Um, if if me or you go and like go on ArtStation now and we start like blasting everyone's work like for no good reason with like irrelevant feedback, people are gonna be like, "Yo, people from Cloud are dicks." You know what I mean? Yeah, that's why you make a sleeper account and <laughs> <laughs> you can go in incognito mode. Oh, is that who's been commenting on my work? Yeah, it's me. But yeah, like the feedback thing, just to circle back, like it was something I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on because I think a lot of um, industry people can relate to being like messaged for feedback and there is a fine, well, it's not necessarily fine, but there is a line between feedback and mentorship. And if I like, if I want to mentor, like ask me, like, oh, do you have like a free hour to teach me this? And then I have the opportunity then to go, sorry mate no or i do at this point or i can point you at a youtube tutorial because a lot of the times like i'll i'll give feedback this is how it usually happens right someone go oh can i feedback on this and i go yeah and then i give them some feedback and then they're like something in the feedback like they like brings out a knowledge gap and they're like oh what do you mean by this and that's a good thing to ask that question if I go to you, oh right, um, you need to use um decals more to avoid having like poor de- texel density on things like bolts. Um, I've given like, and then like immediately like after that, you like start like asking like really long-winded like questions and stuff like, like go and like maybe research that first or or ask like, do you have the time to teach me this or are you okay yeah. to like go into more depth or do you have a tutorial you'd recommend looking at that's a good one i don't i really like it when people do that here's feedback can you do this oh do you have a tutorial on how to do that yes i do and then i link it to them i think i think a big part of the problem is like the self-assessment side of things because like what i've learned from doing my mentorships is like a lot of people are kind of incapable of like being able to assess where they are versus where they need to be and that's kind of where i've come in and gone right like your knowledge isn't there to be doing what you're doing. Like one of my mentees wanted to do a competition and they weren't ready to do that competition. I was like, I I was like, it's great. You want to do this competition, but like, honestly, you need to build some more on your fundamental skills to be able to like get to that point because yeah. it's like, they want to do like a massive project and it's like, well, yeah, you're not going to learn. You're not going to learn like the entire process because it's all about that. It's the same process, no matter what you make, whether you make like a like a really tiny object or an entire scene, right? It's the same sort of process and skills. So why wouldn't you do the smaller one repeatedly, like a bunch of small things repeatedly to reinforce that process before you then move on to something huge? That's something people really struggle with. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely something that, that I kind of wish people would be able be able to do a bit more because like a lot of the time you end up teaching just fundamental stuff that 
there's loads of resources out there to learn it. There's I can't count how many YouTube yeah. tutorials there are on like you know how to bake normals properly and like the the thing as well though like with the the self feedback. Have you ever like called like it's got oh do you, I like have you ever had a time where you've then offered your time and like got into a call with someone like oh yeah and then they've you point out something and they're like oh yeah I was going to change that and it's like. I'm sorry, but you weren't because this was literally like about like you were saying to me like two minutes ago you wanted to put this on your art station, like you weren't gonna change it, and that's fine. But don't like like just go. Oh right, you know I don't know I didn't realize that or like if you can self-assess and see things wrong, and you're not addressing them before you come into me. Like you, you for me like I use feedback to like get help when I'm not sure what to do. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. I like for example, like our concept artist Alberto, like um he's a great person to go to for me when like I'm struggling to like identify what's wrong with something. Like I go, oh, okay, I'm not this area isn't working for me. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. I'm gonna get some feedback. And then I get hit with, oh try this. And then I'm like, okay, cool. And then I try that and then like that sets me off then it starts like a cascade like it's that fresh feedback. set of lights. Like... Yeah, feedback should be for someone who like doesn't know where to improve. And if like I don't know, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but that that's at least like a perspective. No, I agree. I'm not even sure I completely uh I don't even know if I completely believe my own point there, but it's definitely something to think about. There's definitely a line between people that don't know what they're doing next and people that like know what they should have done but didn't want to go and do it. Yeah. Like people that clearly miss details and I don't know. It's it all depends on where they are, what their skills. Yeah, it is, does. It does. Yeah. Sometimes they need that nudge, but at the same time, there's there's bits where it's like you know, if you miss something so fundamental, it's like you're really going to struggle later on if you don't like make the extra effort to do these things because you know someone someone not able to guide themselves to even like learn the workflow to begin with. Yeah, yeah. After yeah. three years of uni or something like that, and coming to you and asking you about it it's like you know you should really come to someone in industry when you're at the point of your work where like you literally that there's nowhere there's nothing you can improve and you're just like right what's the final bit that i need to get to get this to where it needs to be it's something honestly yeah. we could talk for hours about and i'm sure there yeah, will be is. many hours of uh it'll be <laughs> interesting to get about. people's other takes on it as you go through the various guests but yeah i i'd like to just make a point of saying if there are students listening or even industry professionals or don't message us <laughs> like it's this isn't like um i don't want it to come across like we're bitching about it it's more so like it's the way that you, you go about it as well right like we had someone recently um this is a don't do we had someone recently like reach out for me reach out to me for feedback and then i gave feedback and then they reached out to lewis who gave the same feedback and then reached out to me and said, oh, are you ready? Um, do you think I'm ready for a job after not implementing any of the feedback? And then I'm like, oh, you, I guess you could apply if you wanted to. And Lewis said the same thing, like separately. We didn't even know each other were talking to this person. And then they listed themselves as like a referral. Oh, yeah. Like Lewis had referred yeah. him to the role after Lewis had explicitly said, you're probably not ready for this yet. Which is fine, but like you can still apply for the role, just don't list yourself as a referral. 
Don't I, go, oh, so-and-so is like my hype man. I, like, no. I don't think it's a good idea to ask. Um, if if you're applying at my studio, well, I, well, I, say, I don't want to say my you should, studio, you should, in the place. Uh, if you're you applying at my place, I, I, don't, I, I just don't think that you should be like, oh, do you think I'm ready to apply? Because that puts us in a really like weird position. Awkward position, yeah. Because we're not yeah, going to turn around and be like, well, we. Some people will turn around and be like, "No, your works, your works, not good enough." I um, struggle with that. I tend to like get the lead over and get his jurisdiction on it. But the problem is, even if the like whoever it is goes no or like nah, not quite yet. The problem is, like, that's technically not an official no. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, it leaves the door open, like, for like a week later for them to go. Oh, do you think I'm ready now? And it's like. I don't know if it's a weak thing. You know what I mean? Problem is, it's, I, it's, it puts us in a difficult position, right? I yeah, don't and we don't it's like just an interesting topic again. It don't like crushing people's spirits either, because there is a lot of students out there. You say that they're not ready, and they it it decimates them, and it's really hard. And also, also, you you could be wrong as well, right? Like you could like say that someone's not ready, and them be definitely ready. Especially yeah. like there's sometimes obvious ones that's like you know. They're in their third year of uni and they're just like, tracking I'm ready. And it's like, chill out a bit, mate. Come on. You know you're not ready. I remember and then when... you, some people like are nearly ready and it's like a really close call. You need someone like with, you know, a wider view of the project and requirements for the team to be able to say. Yeah. I remember when our leads was like trying to, he was basically really excited about hiring someone. And he was he was kind of on the fence about it, but he was like, "Yeah, no, I, f- I have a really good feeling." And he came to us about it to like. Ask oh, is us. It, I know the one. Yeah, you're yeah, yeah, about, yeah. You know the one. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, we were just like. His portfolio what? was amazing. It was. It but was... his art test just wasn't there for some reason. Yeah. So confusing. And that you know there was a big disparity between it and and you know we we had to we had to remind him we were like you know. That's what the art test is for. Like that portfolio could have been conjured from Chat GPT for all we know. We don't even know. <laughs> Nowadays, especially, like you don't even know if art's gonna be AI art or any anything anymore. So that art test is like a demonstration of of what they can do with the task at hand. And we know it's achievable because we've done it ourselves. But mm, yeah. yeah, no, we just it, you know, it ended up being the case where the lead in the situation actually wasn't sure and it came down to us but yeah, well it, it didn't come down to us he well, just no, he, like a good lead he saw other opinions the feedback exactly the feedback there it is so, who you are no for sure the only question is where does the you know the art director go when they need feedback the mirror on, on the art <laughs> they just just in the bathroom mirror with the listerine in the morning like <laughs> what are they <laughs> That that's well, some level. That's some stress. I'm not ready for. It would be cool to get an art director on here and hear like how they deal with that. That would be cool. Yeah, no. Do you reckon uh, Ian would be up for it? <laughs> Ian Ian might be. You have to ask him. I think Ben Curtis could be. Yeah, no. I'll, I'll have to ask. I'll ask about. They're, people, they're listening. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Ben. <laughs> the one listener. No, I think I think we're gonna be the ones listening to this one. We'll we'll, yeah, we'll set up we'll set our uh, expectations super low so that when we get four listeners yeah, we're yeah, actually yeah. like yeah, yeah, we'll hype yeah, stuff, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> give away at five subscribers <laughs> let's go yeah it'll be my mum my dad me and my girlfriend <laughs> that's all we need mate that's all we need <laughs> it would be it would be cool to um come back on eventually when you've done a 
done a lot more and the I imagine the production value is going to be well up. He's going to have like like little glasses of water and a coffee table and like three cameras and like really good microphones. Yeah, legit. Gonna... Like, um, Huel, if you're listening, <laughs> we're looking for sponsors. <laughs> Send me a mini fridge and some Huel and I'll plug. Oh, I mean, I've already done it. So I'll expect, I'll invoice <laughs> you laughing. tomorrow. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I've just missed doing something creative, to be honest. I loved, um, video editing when i did that and when mm, i used yeah. to have like a gaming youtube channel and uh a podcast is kind of just a more convenient version of that really because you only have to worry about the audio and and you know it's keeping some of my time free as well so we'll, we'll see how it grows and obviously the more retention it gets I'll, I'll obviously invest in a better mic um in a proper setup and yeah we'll just we'll see how far it goes i think it's been a really really awesome uh, first, first guest. So thank you, Dan, for for sacrificing your time to come to come chat with me. It's been a. Uh, no, been thanks really good. for having me. It's been nice just chatting to you. It's not very often we just get like a couple hours to just sit down and have a chat. Yeah, we're always busy now, aren't we? Always off doing our own things. Are you climbing yeah. or 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 I'm sleeping? Planning trips <laughs> to Disney World. Planning trips to Disney World. Yeah, so excited. No, yeah, um, yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, especially if you got this far, Jesus Christ! I don't even know if I'll get this far listening to it. But yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see how the retention does, and yeah, hopefully this would be a nice thing for people to walk to work with in the morning and stuff. And <laughs> that two-hour yeah. walk. To work. Yeah, that two-hour walk. That two-hour commute. Um, but yeah, um, if you've got any questions you'd like us to answer for next week, send them in to gamedevorigins at gmail dot com. Um, and also, um, if you've made it this far, please give us a like and a share and, and spread the word. And hopefully we can grow this into a really awesome resource for people. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Bye, guys.